Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, forgive me for the ways that I've grown cold. Anybody ever grown cold in your relationship with the Lord? Anybody? Hey, let me just say a few things about the gathering. You know, I'm just so thankful to be gathered with the people of God. I consider this morning where I could be had it not been for Jesus. Uh, Locked up or covered up somewhere. And I'm so thankful for the rescue of God in my life. Is there any other human being in the house that in spite of all the situations and circumstances, you can, at the minimum, celebrate the rescue of God in your life. Clap your hands if that's the case for you. Amen. Always a good God. Listen to all the rescues in the house. So maybe you came in and you thought, well, I'm going to a church where all these perfect people are and see what happens. Let me tell you, you've picked the wrong one because uh, there are no perfect people. You're a room full of hot messes, right? And, uh, and yet, and yet, we would say that. Uh, We're nowhere near where we used to be. Jesus has brought us so far. We're all at different places in the journey. But none of us have attained perfection. Isn't that good? So you can take a deep breath and you can uh, come to the conclusion you're not amongst the perfect people, but a people who acknowledge we need Jesus. We needed him at salvation. We needed him on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. We need him every hour of every day. And we've come here today to worship him and to grow in the grace and knowledge of who he is. Okay, so if you have your Bible, that's how we're going to worship the Lord next, through the preaching of his word. And I want to encourage you and invite you to join me in the gospel according to Mark. Would you make your way there? Mark chapter number 5. Mark chapter 5. You ever made this statement? We've got issues. You ever made this statement? I've got issues. You ever made this statement? You have got issues. <laughs> I got a bigger response out of that last one. And so uh, truth of the matter is we, we do all have issues, don't we? We have, uh, how many have some issues in your family? Raise your hand if you have some issues in your family. All right. Uh, if, if, let me ask you if you have some uh, issues in your, in your finances. It don't mean negative, but it just has some issues, right? Uh, how many of you say that you have some issues in your parenting? You got any issues with your children, right? Some of y'all don't raise your hand every single time. Isn't that right? Uh, how many would say that you sometimes have some issues at work? Any of you have any issues at work? Raise your hand if you have any. Wow, man. Some of y'all bat a thousand. Uh, would any of you say that you have some issues in your marriage? Don't hold your hand up, right? Just, just nod your head and smile. Because uh, we just had the Better Marriage Conference. I know that's helping, right, as God is ministering to you through his word. So we would agree that. How many of you have some issues in your single life? Yeah, see, you thought everybody here was married. You're wrong. There's a whole bunch of single folk in the room. And so there are all kinds of issues in life. And today we're going to be introduced to a lady who had an issue. Uh, and then her issue was that for 12 years straight she bled. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But also we're going to meet uh, another man by the name of Jairus. Now, you may have heard him called Jairus, but it's J-A-I-R-U-S. We're going to call him Jairus, all right? That's the way those letters and words are arranged. So Jairus, his, he's going to have an issue that his daughter is on death's door. And so the flow of the text this morning is going to start, I'm going to call it A, now you just stay with me, A1, B, and A2. Here's what I mean. Jesus begins to share, or excuse me, there becomes a man who's come to Jesus with an issue with his daughter, Jairus, that's A1. We find out about him and about his situation, his issue, and then we have a pause button. The pause button between A1 and A2, we have this lady who has an issue of blood for 12 years, and we're going to wrap it all together today and see what God has to say to us. Aren't you glad uh, that you came today? Anybody glad that you came? Can y'all smile? Man, y'all got real serious all of a sudden, and this is going to be one of those messages. Let me go ahead and tell you. This is going to be one of the messages where you ought to shout amen sometimes, all right? You ought to clap your hands. You ought to just celebrate a little bit sometimes, okay? And so please don't just blankly stare at me as we talk about uh, this title of the message is one word, rescued. Rescued. And maybe it is that you need some rescue in your issues. And I'm so glad today that when I woke up early this morning, uh, I knew 
that I had the answer. I knew that I had the resource. I knew that I was going to be able to come today and preach his gospel and introduce you to, for the first time maybe, or reintroduce you to, or help you to get to know better, the answer to our issue. And his name, if you know it, say it with me. His name is? Jesus. And so today we're going to dive into these particular historical accounts of a man whose daughter died and a lady who had an issue with blood. And so if you would stand to your feet with me this morning in honor of reading God's word, Mark chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 21, Mark 5 and 21. And by the way, I got to tell you this, I'm just about beside myself. You may notice I'm a little encouraged this morning uh, because big James, who I've been praying for for about three and a half weeks now, uh, all six foot seven of him gave his life to Jesus Christ right down here at the altar this morning. And so uh, I'm just so glad that God is still doing what only God can do. And so thank you for inviting people. Thank you for pouring your life into people. Thank you for sharing your testimony with people. God is still using you. And uh, I want to thank you for that, okay? Mark 5, what's happened in the early part of Mark 5? This is Mark who's writing the historical account of Jesus' life, okay? And what's happened early in chapter 5 is that there's this man who's possessed by a bunch of demons, okay? And his name, he goes, the demons go by the name, anybody know? Legion, right? And so when Jesus encounters the man, when he rolls up on the shore is what I like to call it, steps out of the boat, this man, nobody could do anything with him. Uh, the authorities couldn't, chains couldn't. They tried to take him to all kind of help, doctors and law enforcement and ward. Nobody could help the man. So he lived, he left his home, and he lived naked in the tombs in the cemetery, uh, demon-possessed, and nobody could do anything with him. Jesus rolls up on the shore, and Jesus doesn't have to go find him. He runs to Jesus, and you know what he does? He falls face down on the ground and begins to worship Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that, that's amazing, isn't it? And I love it because it's, the scripture says he begged him. And I always say it this way, in the presence of the master, the enemy is nothing more than a beggar. And now he has cast those demons out into the swine who go and then drown themselves. And we find ourselves now where he gets back in the boat and goes back to the other side. Okay, does that give you a little context as to where we're going? Okay, so we've just done that, and we're about to experience what we're going to read in verse 21. All right, verse 21. <clears throat> now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him as he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Isn't that interesting? Uh, not only the demons fall at his feet, but so do mankind. And he begins to, same thing, verse 23, and he begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will, y'all help me, live. Talk about some faith. He said, if you'll do that, she'll live. Verse 24, so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now that word throng means pressed in and on every side. Now, uh, I didn't understand what a great multitude was until I went to Ethiopia. And on, in Ethiopia, you, you might get up, you may get out of your vehicle on a, on a particular roadway and you may see five people out there. And you say, oh, there's not many people here. As soon as you get out, uh, in, in no time, there's a 500,000, 2,000, depending on where you are, some of those marketplaces, 70,000, 100,000 people. And I'm like, man. And, and the thing is, when they throw, you don't know what it means to be thrown until you're in a place with that many people. Even outside, you can't move left, you can't move right. And it's like a mass of humanity. And that's what's happening. They're pressing in on Jesus as he's going to Jairus' house. Now, a certain woman in verse 25 had a flow of blood for 12 long years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather, y'all help me, grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately. Can you say that word with me? One, two, three. Immediately. The fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Well, but his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you. And you're going to ask us who touched you? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and, and, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, I love this, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Let's pause here for a brief word of prayer. Yes, we're going to cover the rest of that, but just hang on, okay? Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Father, I thank you this morning for the assignment. 
I thank you, Lord, that the assignment divinely given is bigger than anybody in the room except you. Lord, I have no ability in my own faculties to preach this word, your infinite truth. So I pray once again, by the power of your gift that you've given me to preach and your Holy Spirit, would you preach this message through me and to me at the same time? And Father, as you do that, would you help me to preach it with clarity so the youngest child in the room could understand it as they help me keep their parents awake, that they're able to listen, maybe even draw a picture of this lady and what, look, what it looked like with her on the ground and touching Jesus' robe. Father, I pray that as you help me to do that, that, Lord, you'd also tune our ears into your voice. Father, I know the enemy wants to distract us and help us think about the work week and all we've got lined up today, but I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us lock in and focus as if this was our only moment in time and that, God, we're in a room with just you and you are speaking to us one-on-one as to your sons and to your daughters. So speak to us. We're listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you're being seated, I heard a little bell or whistle there, so I'm gonna, it reminds me to ask you to grab your phone really quickly, okay? And uh, I'm going to ask everybody to grab your phone. Now, uh, I asked this at the Better Marriage Conference. Somebody didn't, and guess what happened? Can you, I wish y'all could, I wish I'd had a video of the heads that turned after I asked everybody, begged and pleaded, please turn your ringer off. And somebody right now saying, well, I think mine's off. I'm not going to fool with it. Please put your eyes on your ringer right now and cut the volume off on that thing. And then again, I want to remind you, if you would encourage you to use social media as a platform to get the gospel out. So maybe you would just simply go and share the message. Pray, God, put it in front of who needs to see it and hit, hit, it, hit the share and you'll be a missionary from your chair. We see people touched all around the world by you guys doing that. So now let's go back to the passage. What happened? This historical account of a man whose daughter is dying and a lady who has an issue with blood, all right? So let's rewind if we can. Here's the title of the message, simply one word, rescued, rescued. I believe there are many within the sound of my voice who have some issues in your life that you are in desperate need of rescuing. It may be relationship, it may be finances, it may be a physical ailment. I don't know what it is, but I know this. Almost every person at this particular moment in time are facing some issues, whether it's firsthand or secondhand or in your family. Every one of us has some issues that we're battling. And so that helps us to just relax for a minute and, and, and understand none of us are better than any of us, but there's hope. There's hope for our issues. And so today the title is rescued, and the main idea simply is three words, Jesus is greater. Now I want you to write that down somewhere. If you don't write anything else down today, Jesus is, say it with me greater. Hey, what'd you, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, well, I did some things Saturday. I worked in the yard, did this, went fishing, what have you. But Sunday I gathered as the people of God because it's the Lord's day. And when I did that, I heard a message uh, about this guy whose daughter died and about this lady who had this issue. But what I learned is that Jesus is greater. I learned that. And I learned it in the historical account of these people and how Jesus interacted with them. So main idea, Jesus is greater. There are going to be five individual statements I want to make. Some things we're going to look at that point back to Jesus is, help me, Greater. All right, number one, write this in your notes there. Rescue, rescue begins with humility. Rescue begins with, y'all help me? Humility. Now, as you write that, I need to explain for a minute the term humble or humility. Humility is not, I'm the worst thing that ever happened. Humility is not, I got this wrong with me, I got that wrong with me, I'm less than, I've done this, I've done that. That's not humility. That's called low self-esteem. It's dangerous. Uh, Low self-esteem will make you compromise. Low self-esteem will make you wear a short dress. Low self-esteem will make you overcompensate. We call it little man syndrome. Low self-esteem will do all kinds of things to mess you up in this life, okay? So we we need to ask God to help heal low self-esteem and know who our value is in Jesus. But, But humility, on the other hand, is this understanding that without him, I got nothing, that the, that the tasks of life and decisions and relationships are so much bigger than I can figure out in my head and fix with my hands. And so I need, here's the word, help. Now, the truth of the matter is all of us hate asking for help. Isn't that true? We hate asking for help. Rescue begins with humility. What happens? This man, his daughter is sick. She's at death's door. Let's pick up in verse 21. Jesus crossed back over. When he does, verse 22, behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue. He's one of the rulers. He's, he's a higher up, if you will. He's a respected person. He's a leader. And yet his only hope is to find himself humbly seeking out help from the master. 
Let me tell you, it doesn't matter your title. It doesn't matter your job. It doesn't matter your income. It doesn't matter your bank account. It doesn't matter all of the great resources that there are this life. I want you to understand the only hope of help you and I have for our issues is the Lord Jesus Christ. So he carries, and goes on, he says, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, when he saw Jesus, what did he do? An act of humility. He fell at his feet. This ruler, this one that people looked up to, the one who uh, had a higher ranking than other folks, and yet the first thing he does when he sees Jesus in light of his situation, his issue, is that he comes to Jesus and humbles himself and falls down, and the next thing he does is the word begged. Did you see that? Begged. Now, have you ever, here's a question. Uh, I'm going to ask it, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of twist it a little bit on you. Is that okay? Good, here we go. Uh, how many of you have ever begged before? Raise your hand. Now, y'all aren't as honest as 830. Let me ask that again. I'm going to have to contact some of y'all's mamas. All right, now, quick question. How many of you have ever begged for something before? You've ever begged for, okay, but look at there now. Some of y'all said he's got a photograph of memory. He knows my mama, and he's going to ask her. And so we talk about begging for things. Now, let me just kind of build that definition a little bit. What does it mean to beg? It means that I've come to a place in desperation where I realize I don't have enough resource and I've got to humble myself and trust the resource and authority of somebody else in my life, right? And uh, as we get older, begging becomes more difficult. Isn't that true? Why? Because as a child, we have, a lot of times we'll, we'll just be undignified for what we want. And I want you to think about I want you to think about begging. It's, it's, when, it's when you have a child that's suffering. It's when, it's when your marriage is struggling. It's when your finances are all out of whack and you need some help from God that nobody else can do. And, and there's some, there's some, it's attached to you. I mean, it's every part and fiber of your being. It's, it's not just a verbal exercise. It's your whole person's involved in begging. Let me tell you where you can observe some of the greatest begging in the world. Are you ready? It's on the cereal aisle. Some of y'all just had some flashbacks to the week. Some of y'all went to shaking a little bit, huh? A little bit of PTSD after what happened on the cereal aisle this week. And if you want to learn some things about humanity, hang out a little bit on the cereal aisle. Just watch people. Now, that's a weird kind of watching, but just kind of hang out and watch mannerisms, if you will. And what you'll find out is that a child is willing to beg for Cocoa Puffs. You with me? Now, you say, is that really begging? Because you said a desperate situation and a desperate, yeah, have you ever said, you, you must not have hung out on the cereal aisle. It'll involve their whole being, won't it? They'll flop in the floor. I've seen all kinds of displays of begging, but there's begging that goes on where the child is looking to whoever it is that's with them, their financial resource, because the child can't buy the cereal, uh, their authority to, to do it and take it home, and they're, they're falling on the authority and resource of another, and they're begging. Don't you love that, by the way? And they're begging. And so we find this man... And the first, and, and Roman number one in your notes, write this down, rescue begins with humility, okay? So before he's going to experience any kind of rescue in his daughter's life, and we're going to see it again because I said we're going to be introduced to two people, Bojairis and the woman whose issue with the blood, both of them are going to have to find themselves coming to Jesus. Listen, sometimes it is the most difficult thing in the world for us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. To be able to look up and say, I can't figure this out. I, I, I can't fix this. Uh, I've tried. I, I, I've done all I can do. And it's a painful recognition, isn't it? It's a hard place to find yourself. Oftentimes, it requires great struggle. Come on, somebody, amen right there. A lot of times, we have to struggle a whole bunch till we finally get to the place where we say, well, I got nothing. I can't fix it. I can't fix it. And we humble ourselves and we come to the Lord. I'll give you a couple of verses to go along with. Rescue begins with humility. All right, write this verse in your notes. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 3, and Jesus is talking about characteristics and qualities of those who belong to him, all right? The attitudes that we should be, that we should have as the children of God. Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are, y'all help me, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit means a person looks at their spiritual bank account and realizes that without God, they're bankrupt, they realize that in light of marriage or the single life or parenting or life in general or relationships, they realize that without him, they got squat to add to the thing, and there's nothing good except God do it. And so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, a person has to first realize they're poor in spirit before they'll ever call on the name of Jesus and be saved. So a rescue begins with humility. Jesus really is greater. But so then, if this is the case, if, if in fact... Uh, humility is the first step that leads to a cry, then pride, listen to this, then pride must be the greatest guarantee to our destruction. 
Let me give you a verse, all right? Write this in your notes, Proverbs 18 and 12. Let's read it together. Proverbs 18 and 12. Pride then is the greatest guarantee to destruction. Listen to what he says. Before destruction, in other words, before destruction happens in a marriage, before destruction happens in a business, before destruction happens in a person's life, in a, in a parenting or, or as a child or, or in friendships, before destruction happens, there's something that is, that is, that is going to be evident. Here it is. Before destruction, the heart of man, y'all help me, is haughty. And you know what the word haughty means? Prideful. It means that it won't ask for help. It means that it'll just try harder. It means that this mindset, this heart condition says, I don't need any help. I just need to try harder. Let me ask you, by the way, how many of you have ever looked at a situation and said, I've just got to do better? I just got to do better. I, I, I catch myself all the time saying, come on, Terry, you got to do better. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You better surrender that to the Lord because you're putting little bricks in the pack. And the more bricks you put in the pack, finally that thing gets too heavy to tote. Come on, somebody. And you'll find yourself in a desperate situation, right? And so wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I would just begin to live desperately without having to have a desperate situation? Humble. God, I need your help. You say, well, I, I feel good today. I don't really need it. Yes, you do. Amen. Yes, you do. You can't see all this going on in the, in the, in the, in the spiritual realm and how the enemy's after you. And you need him and I need him every moment of every hour of every day. Humility is the greatest. It's a, listen, rescue begins with humility. So he says, and back in Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. Now listen, he's going to flip it. And before honor is humility. If I'll humble myself under the mighty hand of God in due time, he'll lift me up. Isn't that wonderful? And that's the promise of God. Let me give you another verse. Proverbs 50, verse number 15. Proverbs 50 and 15. Excuse me, Psalm 50 and verse 15. Listen to what Jesus says or what God says through the psalmist. Psalm 50, 15. Call upon me in the day, y'all help me, of trouble. Now, now leave that up there for just a minute. Do you have any friends that, well, maybe we can call them acquaintances, that only call your phone when they're in trouble? Does everybody have friends like that? I guess we all do. And how many of you, when people call on you when they get in trouble over and over and over again, listen, we're just, by the way, if you're our guest, we like to take the mask off, leave them at the door, and we, uh, we acknowledge that we are what we are. And if we're honest about where we are, we can get to where we need to be. And so have you ever caught yourself saying, man, I wish they'd quit fooling, quit calling me? They don't call you to say, hey, I want you to have a great day, or hey, let's catch coffee together, or hey, man, I just want to tell you I was thinking about you. They don't call you for that. They only call you when they're in trouble. Now, some of us, some of us approach God that way. And I've had people come to me and say, you know, I just feel so awful because uh, I only call on him in times of trouble. And I said, hang on, I get it, I understand that. But let me make something crystal clear. God is not like me and you. Okay, let me, some of y'all do it right over the top of your head. God is not, amen, God is not like me and you, meaning even when we find ourselves in a pattern of only calling on him in the day of trouble, guess what he said? You call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. He's not like anybody. Me and you will quit answering the phone. Uh-oh. Me and you will, will we say, dip and dodge at Walmart, won't we? But God says if you'll humble yourself, if you'll understand your spiritual condition, you can't fix it. You're not big enough. If you'll humble yourself, I'm telling you, rescue is found. The greatest begins, it begins with humility. And if you and I will humble ourselves and call out to him, God, I got this situation. Lord, I can't quit taking these painkillers. You know my body's struggling. I need some help. God, I can't quit overeating. God, you know I got this unforgiveness in my heart. I've got this hurt from the past abuse, and, and I've talked to counselors, and God, it's still there. It's a huge issue. And he says, if you'll find yourself where you're finally humble enough to say, I can't do this, rescue follows. Now then, rescue begins with humility. Let me move on. Number two, listen, see, y'all listening fast. We're going to get out of here by time for lunch. Number two, in your notes there, write this down. Somebody said, we just got started. Number two, write this down. Life is full of impossible issues. It is full of them. Did you already know that or did I need to tell you that when you came in? All right, survey the room. How many of you understand that life is full of impossible issues? Raise your hand. Uh, sometimes there are impossible issues at work. Sometimes there are impossible issues in marriage. Sometimes there are impossible issues in single life. Sometimes there's impossible issues in parenting. You ever find yourself parenting thinking, man, I don't know what to do now. And there's impossible issues in business, impossible issues. In, you know why that is? There's a couple of reasons why. I want to just tell you a few of them. First of all, because it's a fallen world that we're living in. After Adam and Eve's original sin in the garden, after his, uh, that fall, every baby born after that, and by the way, you're one of those in that line, <laughs> were born with a sin nature, separated from God. And because of that, man, we jack things up. We make a mess of things. 
So part of that is because we're in a fallen world and we're fallen people, right? We have a broken nature about us. But, but there's another reason. Sometimes, sometimes the struggle that we face, the issues that we do, we create on our own. You know, you're in a group of people that are honest. I'm telling you, people sitting beside you aren't going to lie. They'll tell you. How many of you would say by show of hands that you've created some issues of, on your own accord in your lifetime? Man, I have. Good night. And as we consider those today, we have to consider the issue that this lady is suffering with. Now, nowhere in the text do we have any idea that she's done something and then she's being punished by, because of something that she's done, okay? So it's not always that you're being punished for a decision. It's not always the consequences of your decision. Sometimes it is, but not always. So we found ourselves now in verse number, look with me, 25 and 26. Life is full of impossible situations. So the man comes and, and by the way, we're putting A1 on hold, okay? And we're going to, we're going to testimony B. Y'all tracking with me? A1 is Jairus. B is the woman with the issue of blood. We'll come back to it, so hang on. So he begs him and Jesus goes on with him. And he's, as he's on the way, there's a bunch of people pressing in on him, bumping into him. On every, that word thronged means mashing in. I'm telling you, you can hardly, if you've never been in a situation like that, it's hard to imagine. You can't step left. You can't step right. You got to hold your spot. And if you don't hold your spot solid, they'll bump you. The crowd will bump you and you'll go one way. And it's just an intense thing. And that's where they are. And it says a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 long years. That's a lot of days, isn't it? 12 times 365, that's a lot of days, isn't it? And you take that number and you multiply it by 24 hours. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden you realize there's a lot of moments that this lady has struggled and I want you to think for just a minute about her issue because when your body loses blood, your body suffers. It's weak. It loses valuable nutrients. It loses all kinds of stuff. Uh, the blood is the life of the body. You realize that without your blood, you die. You understand that? And so when a person is bleeding, when you're losing blood that's supposed to stay in the system, is getting out of the system, what happens is you're being depleted of things that you need. So you're tired. And you're cranky and you just don't feel well. And so you're losing blood and you're physically just weak and tired and, and all that comes along with that. But listen, that's the only part of her struggle. Not only is she tired, not only does she struggle, not only does she have to deal with blood all the time. Another thing about that is, you ready? Another part about that is she also is, by the scripture, by the Le Le Levitical law, she is deemed, y'all help me, if anybody, anybody knows, say it with me, she's deemed unclean. And by the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, she's deemed as unclean. And so everywhere she goes, she's unclean. So nobody can be around her. If anybody bumps into her, they also are deemed unclean. So they can't, she can't even go in the synagogue. She can't go in the temple. She can't worship. She is not only suffering tired and, and weary and her body just has no strength, but also she's facing the isolation of no human contact. Now, I don't know about you, but... I've learned over time that isolation is the prime real estate for defeat. If you get yourself isolated away from the people of God and away from God, you quit reading the word, you quit being around the people of God, what will happen is in your mind you'll lose the battle. And you'll find yourself, come on, somebody testify this morning. You'll find yourself doing what you used to do, amen? You'll find yourself feeling like you used to feel. You'll find yourself losing ground as to where Christ has brought you all by one word, isolation. You and I were made for community. Did you know that? I love when I talk to people sometimes, usually dudes, they'll say, I'm really a lone wolf. I say, no, you're not. Yes, I am. I say, don't give me that garbage. You were made by God and for God. And part of being for God is for his family. You're part of a family. And if you'll come to know him through your son Jesus, you'll find out you've got dudes that are, that, that are just like you, that have done some things, been some places that will help you, and you'll help them. And it will be a wonderful journey with a bunch of imperfect people brought into the family of God by the grace found in Jesus. So we're made for community. We find this life is full of impossible issues. She's not only suffering physically, uh, but she's also deemed unclean, and so she's isolated. But that's still not the end of her pain. Twelve years of that. No hugs. No holding hands. No brushing her hair. Nothing. No physical contact. Twelve straight years. Physical pain, suffering, weakness from the depleted resources of the body. Verse number 26, and that's not the end of her suffering. She also had suffered many things from many. Anybody out there? Y'all doze right off on me. All right, let's try that again. You ready? And she had suffered many things from many. So put yourself in her shoes, 12 years. Can't stop the bleeding. Weak all the time. Can hardly stay awake. Cranky. 
irritable, not around anybody, can't be around anybody. Nobody will come around you. You're all by yourself. You're isolated. You can't even go in the temple and worship the Lord. You just feel like you're the only person. Nobody cares about you. You're rejected. You're, you're embarrassed. It's, a, it's an awful way. And you hear about a doctor over in another town, and you hear that he's helped people that have had issues of blood before. And so you go ahead and save your money, and you make the trip. And by the way, you couldn't get on a Greyhound back then. And you make your trip, and you've got a plan because you're bleeding the whole time. And you get there with hope in your heart and your resources saved and you see the doctor and you pay the money and you do the thing and it's some kind of suffering. That, that word lends itself to a painful experience. So the doctor tries some painful procedure and at the end of that, you leave out, what, what does he say at the end? Worse, worse than you were when you came. But then you hear about another doctor because it didn't say one physician, it said many physicians. So you hear about another doctor and there's another little glimmer of hope because you know you can't stay like you are. You just don't want to live. Man, life, you're so weak and you're so irritable and you're so isolated, you're so ashamed and nobody wants to be around you. And so you hear about another doctor in another town and you do it all over again. Man, you make preparations, you get ready to make the journey, you save your money, you get there and another painful procedure and you leave out of there a little bit worse. Now I want to say to you that there are many in this room and many are listening out there and many who are listening to this podcast later that are doing the exact same thing. And you're turning to this person, you're turning to that person, you're turning to this substance, you're turning to that habit. And all the things that you're turning to, you're learning that all you do is when you go to them with a little hope that things are gonna get better is you leave away a little bit worse. And you've tried the alcohol and boy, it feels good for just a little while and you just kind of can distance yourself from the situation and the pain of the moment and yet you find out that your issues can swim, you can't drown them. Preacher, how can you talk such in detail about that? Because I've been there and done that. And no, I did not get a T-shirt because there's no benefit from it. And I want you to know today that whatever it is that you're turning to, it may be food, it may be uh, sex outside of marriage, it may be, I don't know what it is for you, but I know this about me and you. We have a tendency to turn to everything under the sun before we finally turn to Jesus. And that's where she was, and yet she thought there was hope, and she tried this, and she tried that, and she tried this. And the sadness of it all is that in the midst of all these impossible issues, if we keep turning to resources like Dr. Phil or, or uh, medications, and now listen, I'm not saying that the counselors and medications don't have a place. They do. But when we keep going, we keep going, and we keep going, and all we come away with is worse. Doesn't it make sense today to consider Jesus? To consider the one who created everything that's created and give him a shot at your issue. Many of us, all of us, face life full of impossible issues. She was weak, isolated, embarrassed, unclean. Now let me move on, number three. Number three. So far we said rescue begins with, y'all help me, where does it start? Humility. Humility makes me cry out and say, God, I need your help. Second, we said life is full of impossible issues. In this room, you'd be shocked at the issues to the left and right of you, in front of you, and behind you. Everybody has them, impossible issues, all right? We have a tendency to turn to all the wrong places before we turn to Jesus. But now let me move on to number three, verses 27 and 28. I want you to write these three words down. Faith has action. James said it this way, the half-brother of Jesus. He said, he said, faith without works is dead, meaning... It's not faith at all. It's, uh, it may be confidence. It may be um, trust. It may, I don't know, but it's not saving faith. Faith has, come on, let's say it like we mean it. Faith has action. This many people, this many voices, we ought to sound like a roaring lion when we read a word together, all right? So faith has action, has action. Now, where do I find that in verse 27 and 28? When she heard about Jesus. Now, that means somebody was testifying of Jesus. Oh, I wish some of y'all are getting that. I saw three smiles in the house. When you and I begin to organically, which means we don't, it's not a program thing. We don't schedule it. We just testify of Jesus. We have no idea the influence and impact we can have on somebody else's life when they have issues that only Jesus can settle. Somebody around this lady is talking about this Jesus, Jesus this and Jesus that. And he's done this and Jesus has done that and Jesus has done this. And she hears about Jesus and she hears that Jesus is in town. Now, she's taking a huge risk by taking herself out in public. She's not supposed to do this, unlawful. And she's taking a huge risk because it's unlawful to go into that crowd of people, right? But she's doing it anyway. You know why? Faith has action. 
And so she pressed in and she pressed through and she pressed to. Watch what happens as we read along. Uh, Verse 27, she heard about Jesus. She came behind him in the crowd and she touched the hem. We learned in the comparison of the gospels, the hem of his garment. And, And I want you to think for just a minute what it must have been like for her. She'd heard about the physicians. She went and saw the physicians. She left away worse. She heard about Jesus. See, she believed in the physicians. How do I know? Faith has action. How do I know she believed in the physicians? She went to them. She spent money on them, right? She had faith in Jesus. How do I know? She went into the crowd and she saw, can you just see her coming up behind him? That's him, that's him, that's him. That's, that's what they say he looked like. Well, I heard somebody call his name. Yep, that's him, that's him. And she's speeding up. She's kind of pressing through. I'm telling you, if you've never been in a crowd like that, it'll blow your mind. You've got to be some kind of warrior to get through and just walk. And she's pressing and she's pressing. She sees and she's gaining ground. She's getting a little closer. And she doesn't go around in front of him and say, hey, hey, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you about all my troubles. She didn't say that. She didn't walk up behind him and put two hands on his back. She falls down on the ground. And all she has to do, she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Faith has action. My question is, do you believe? And if you do believe, what do your actions say about what you believe? What about the actions based upon your issue or issues? What are your actions based on your issues say about what or who you've put your faith in? See, anxiety and fear and all those things come because I put my faith in me to tackle my issues. But here's what I've learned. Blessed are the poor in spirit when I realize I don't have the resource by myself to meet my issues. Only Jesus does. Now, let me read on just a little bit. So 27 and 28, faith has action. I want to give you a statement. This occurred to me early this morning. I wrote it in my notes. I'm going to share it with you, all right? Desperate times, don't finish it for me. Desperate, we've heard it said that desperate times call for desperate measures. I want to correct that and say desperate times call for faith actions. What's the desperation in your life? What's the issue? What are you facing that's bigger than you are? Have you been trying to correct it? You've been trying so hard to fix it. You've been trying to carry the load. You've been trying to do the next right thing, do good, try hard. And I'm just encouraging you today that, listen, if you you and I will get desperate about it, and it will lead us to some faith actions. Now, we're going to talk about what those are in just a minute, okay? So desperate times call for faith actions, okay? Faith has action. We see that in her life. Now, number four, look how quickly we're moving through this thing. I may need to slow down a little bit. Number four, Jesus is greater, write this down, than any issue. All right? Now, we're going to make that statement twice, but with number four and number five. Number four, Jesus is greater than any issue, any issue. You said, now, wait a minute, you don't know about my issue. I know this, Jesus is greater. I know this, Jesus is greater than your issue, okay? So now, this is going to be verses 29 and on to verse 34. So she said to herself, verse 28, by the way, you ever have a conversation with yourself? And she's talking to herself. And she said, if I can just, can you hear talking to herself? I've heard about this man. He's not like any other man. He's the God man. And he's healed people. He's walked on water. And he's, I've heard all this about, I got to get close to him. I just, if I can just, you see, she's talking to herself. If I can just get to her, get to him rather, and touch his clothes. Why, goodness. So we find as he goes on in verse number uh, 28, if I can just touch his clothes, I'm going to be made well. She knew it. Verse 29, when she touched him, when she touched him, verse 29 says, she went into a 12-step program and 14 weeks of therapy. Huh? Can you all help me with one word? Because, I, listen, I believe sometimes, and listen, I know God uses steps, and I know God uses programs. I know he does. But I'm also here to tell you that today, somewhere along the line, we've lost faith that God can do it how? Uh, one more time, he can do it how? Immediately. Immediately. Somebody came in today, and you've got an issue, and you, you, you need him to do something immediately, now. Today, now, we know this, God's timing is always perfect, but sometimes we don't receive what God wants us to receive because we don't believe it can happen now. Who is he that even the wind and waves obey? And if you and I would begin to really believe that God can do what God says he can do, can you imagine the level of power we would experience in our lives as we walk close with him? Faith has action. Jesus is greater than any issue. So immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Can you imagine what that was like for her? 12 long years. Isolation, embarrassment, the struggle of the dealing with blood, uh, the painful procedures, 
the worsening of the condition. And now simply to touch the hem of his robe, and she's well. <laughs> she's well. I got a smile, one smile in the house. The rest of y'all staring at me like a calf at a new gate. I wish today you and I would really let that settle in in our heart. It ought to make you want to shout glory, hallelujah, amen. Especially if you, like me, have experienced some sort of that manifestation of God's power in your life. It ought to make you want to smile and sing and dance. Jesus is greater than any issue. So immediately she's healed. Verse 30, and Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, Jesus asked a question, who touched my clothes? Now here's my question for you. Do you believe that for this moment in time, Jesus set his deity aside and was only man? I love that. Mm, um, no, nowhere in the scripture do we ever have a part where Jesus says, okay, time out, I'm not going to be God for just a minute. He, from the beginning of time, was God and man. So he comes and takes on flesh, and he becomes born as a man, but he is fully God and fully man, and he never separates the two. Y'all tracking with me? So my question then logically is, does he know who touched him? Sure, but he's about to call her out of the crowd. And she's about to come forward and testify. She's about to testify. Now, hang on to this, all right? Now, watch what happens. We're just reading along. Jesus is greater than any issue that you and I could ever face. So Jesus asked a question. Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, don't you love their answer? <laughs> I love the disciples because I feel like we would all fit in. Jesus, you see all these people? They you all pressing in on your every side. What do you mean, who touched you? We don't know anything. Who touched me? And, and he looked around to see her. Why? Because he knew who she was. He looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him, listen closely, the whole truth. Now, notice she didn't just say, the Lord touched me. She, she didn't just say, Jesus, you touched me. I'm, I'm well. She told the whole story. Jesus, about 12 years ago, I started bleeding and I hadn't stopped since. And Jesus, I've been, I've been man, I sometimes don't have the energy to get out of the bed. Maybe she had a family and she's telling him about the struggles that she's going through, trying to keep a home and doing the things that, that ladies do. And she says, I'm not able to do that. And, and not only that, Jesus, listen, I, I so long just to have somebody touch me on the arm or on my hand. I hadn't touched another human being in 12 years. And, and Jesus, I'm telling you, it's been such a struggle. And I've gone to these doctors, Jesus, and I've spent my money, and I've only come away worse. I've gone to all the world's resources, and I've left away in worse condition. Oh, I wish somebody can relate to that this morning. And she's testifying the whole truth. And she said, Jesus, I heard about you, and I had faith, and I believed, and I came to you, and I, I came and I touched the hem of your garment, and bam, it's gone. I'm well, I'm whole, I'm healed. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Jesus is greater than any issue you'll ever face. Now, in the midst of that, there's a couple of things that we need to learn. You ready? All right? So faith has action. Humility leads to that action. You tracking with me? When I'm humble to realize I can't do it, then I'm, really, then I'm willing to have some help. And I want to use my Swayze illustration for just a moment, Okay? Now, a couple of years ago, she's at the house. It's just her and Pop. And she has some yogurt that she's trying to open. Some of y'all remember this story. And by the way, I think NASA puts those little foil seals on there. Don't y'all? And so the seal is on there, and she's holding her yogurt, and she's trying to peel back the top, and she can't. So she begins to cry. Isn't that interesting? And I really love hearing babies cry, except I really don't like it at all, at, you know, when I'm taking care of them. So I'm like, here, let me help you. And she hides it. And I, I reach over to that side to get it. She moves it to the other side. All the while trying to pull it off. All the while crying increasingly more and more and more. And I'm like, just give me the thing. And whoever, by the way, what moron came up with the phrase taking candy from a baby like, is easy? <laughs> and I'm trying, and this, and this two-year-old is swapping hands, and I'm like, man, what is wrong with me? I can't even get the yogurt from the baby. Much less candy. But finally, finally, when I... And she's at a fever pitch. I'm talking about she's coming unwound because she wants the yogurt. Something's good inside there. But she lacks the power to get to the good thing. You lack the power to get to the good thing. But she hands it over to me. And then the second she gives it to me, well, maybe three or four seconds, I peel the foil off, hand it back to her, and the crying stops. And next she's enjoying the flavor and all the goodness of that, that which she desired I wonder today what it is that you desire. If you've been chasing it in your own strength, 
And I wonder if you've been trying harder, trying to make it happen in your marriage, trying to make it happen in your single life, trying to make it happen in your parenting, trying to make it happen in your relationship with your mom and dad. And you've been trying so hard to do that. And because of that, all you are is frustrated and in a worse condition than you were when the situation started. Let me make a statement. You ready? Jesus is greater than any issue you and I'll ever face if we will humbly hand it over to him. And so we watch as this continues. So he had the power to make that which is broken whole. Somebody ought to shout amen. He has the power to make that which is unclean clean. Think about it. Think about it. Everybody she touched, if she bumped into somebody, immediately they were unclean until she touched the master. And she didn't make him unclean. He made her. Come on, somebody. Clean, hallelujah, to the Lamb of God. He is the answer for your issue. Not just an idea, not just a list of rules of do's and don'ts, a Savior that you need to, somebody says, well, how in heaven's name can I touch the hem of his garment? Where is he? I'll go. <laughs> it's the place of humility when you and I humble ourselves and come to him and say, I need to get close to you, Jesus. Visiting church on Sunday, every other Sunday, here and there, Sunday, spending time in your Bible, hit and miss, is not where the close, powerful, wonderful, miraculous power of God flows. It's in an authentic, up-close, everyday relationship where you're close enough to touch the hem of his garment. Close to him. Close to him. Finally, finally, all right? Number five. Can y'all believe we've gotten there already? I'm going to take that as a no because I didn't hear anything, all right? And Jesus is greater than death. How about that? So he's greater than our struggle. He's greater than any issue, but he's also greater than death. Now, we're going to go back to story A1 and pick it up, the historical account of what finishes, okay, here in A2. So what about Jairus? What about his daughter? Anybody still hanging on a cliff about what's going on with her? I mean, she was dying. But listen to me, the situation has gotten worse. In the beginning of it, Jairus comes to Jesus, and what does he say about his daughter? She's dying. She's at death's door. She's close to death. If you'll come lay hands on her, she'll be healed. On the way, this lady has an extreme issue, and she touches Jesus' issue settled. Then what happens? Read with me. Pick up in verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house. So it's some of his friends and family. And this was their advice to him. You ready? By the way, be careful about your circle. Be careful about the people you hang around and you let be close to you and you let influence your life. Listen to what they told him. Y'all reading? Don't you want some friends like that? Hey, man, your child died. Don't bother the teacher. Wow. Anybody see that's a little harsh? You know, you'd imagine, Luke, if Rosie's sick and she was alive when you left the house, but you knew your only hope was Jesus. You went and found him. And you got to him. He's, he's I don't know, there's part of me that say, come on, Jesus, you know, you touch the lady, let's move. She's healed, let's keep going. But then, you, but then people from your, your friends come and tell you, but Luke, she, Rosie's gone. There's no, don't bother the teacher anymore. Man, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that there's a voice that's clearer and better than the voice of the influence of people in your life? And here's what he says. Now read, Jesus here, I love this because Jesus hears that and he cares. Listen to what it says, verse 36. As soon, y'all help me, as Jesus heard that. So you imagine Luke's friends telling him that and Jesus is in earshot. And he hears them discouraging Luke and tell him, don't worry, don't, don't bother the teacher. The teacher ain't got time for you. Your, your, your daughter's gone. As soon as Jesus heard that, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, listen, what does he say? Y'all read it with me. Don't, don't be afraid. Only believe. Listen, I want the kind of friends around me that say, don't be afraid. Only believe. I want people around me that are they're walking with Jesus, they're full of the Holy Spirit, they're fed on the word of God, they're encouraged by the church, and they're by my side when things are impossible, and they say, don't you stop believing. He's able, he's able, he's able. He was able yesterday, he's able today, and he'll be able forevermore. Be careful about the people you surround your life with. And Jesus hears it. And don't you love it? Jesus cares. He could have just kept on going, but he cared about what was going on. He was already headed to bring her back to life, but he cared about the man's heart and his feelings. And he says to him, don't you let fear overwhelm you. Believe, believe. So let's see what happens. Y'all reading along with me? So in verse 37, and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult, and those who wept, and they wailed aloud. Uh, you compare the gospels, you'll find they're playing the flute. What does that mean? They're, they have professional wailers and mourners. Can you believe that? And so when people die, they would pay them, and they would play the flute, and people would sing, and they'd cry for you. By the way, wouldn't that be a great occupation? 
What do you do for, the li- for a living? I just go around crying for folks. You couldn't pay me enough to do that. And so now Jesus says, what's all this commotion about? Why are you crying? crying? You see it? Why do you weep? And then he says, why make this commotion and weep? And the child is not dead. She's just sleeping. Now, he wasn't speaking to the fact that she had a heartbeat. She didn't. He was speaking to the fact that you guys act like this is permanent, but it's not. I'm on the scene, and that what you think is permanent, where something is dead, and you think it can't be resurrected, I'm about to bring resurrection. Amen? That's what Jesus is doing. He says, y'all don't settle down, everybody. I'm about to do something nobody else can do. And watch what happens. And know how their response was? They ridiculed him. Now, if you'll study, if you look at that word in the Greek, the word literally means to laugh at him, to, to, to mock him. So can you imagine what they, the things they were probably saying? Oh, oh, Mr. Big Shot, you're going to come in here, she's dead, and you think she's just asleep. She's dead, we know she's dead, so I guess you're going to bring her back. And they're laughing and they're ridiculing, making fun of him. And I don't know about you, man, but it's, it's an ugly thing, isn't it, unbelief? And they're laughing at him and they're ridiculing him and they're believing. Somebody in here today doesn't believe. You, you just, you're, you, you're mocking. Right now in your head there's a mocking voice that the situation, the issue, the impossible thing you're facing, that God can't do it. And there's a mocking voice that mocks against the truth of God's word and his power to overcome. And look what Jesus did with them. Now there were a bunch of them and only one of him. But what did he do to them? What's the next sentence say? He put, he put them outside. Can you see that scene? They're my, oh, what are you going to do? Come on, get, get, out, get outside. Hey, what are you going to do? I guess you're going to bring it back to life. Mr. Big, get outside. Go, get out now. And he clears the room. And I want you to picture there's a lifeless little girl in the room and a daddy with a broken heart very near. And all of this has happened. And I'm telling you, there are situations that you and I face and we just give up. We give up. We feel like there's no hope. And maybe there's a relationship that's dead. Maybe there's a, uh, I don't know what's dead in your life. But I promise you this, where death reigns, Christ can bring victory. And what happens next? Read with me, all right? He went into where the child was lying, verse 41. He took the child by the hand. I want you to see that. Cold, lifeless hand of a little girl. And I want you to see Jesus reaching down. He could have done anything, but he reached down and grabbed her hand. And he didn't have to muster up energy. (laughs) He didn't have to. Uh, going to a lot of uh, steps to the, to the healing, he simply says to Lytha Kumin, which simply means, y'all read it with me, little girl, I say to you, arise, get up. Get up, get up from there. Now, here's our word again, verse 42. No swing bed, no in-between. The spoken word of Jesus, a simple summonsing of her soul. And when he did, uh, the Lord God Almighty said, come on, rise up. And she immediately arose. Oh, but she also walked. Just in case you thought her legs weren't going to work like they were supposed to, she walked. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Can you imagine as a parent what that must have been like? To have already somewhat, not that you ever can, but somewhat dealt with the thought that life was going to go on without you ever seeing your daughter again here in this life. And all hope being gone except, except that he had gone to get Jesus. And Jesus comes on the scene and he just simply says, now I want you to notice in Hollywood there would have been like a great struggle between death and Jesus, or the devil and Jesus. There would have been this war going on. You'd have had scenes going back and forth. Notice that, notice that death's grip on that little girl simply released when Jesus said, arise. There was no back and forth. There was no arm wrestling match between Jesus and the devil. Death simply had to obey him. You know why? Because he's greater than death. And Jesus said, Jesus said this, that whosoever would believe in him, do you know what he said? Should never die. He says, though they will die physically, they shall live. That's what he told Mary and Martha. But then he posed a question. And the question that he posed to them, because it's a personal decision, it's a one-on-one kind of relationship, he said to Mary and Martha, do you believe this? And so my question for you is, that's a wonderful message, magnificent text. By the way, I, I figured out, I was talking to Tina yesterday, 18 years of preaching in August 28th, be 18 years, I've never preached that text. And I said, Lord, why? He didn't tell me why, but he let me do it today. And as I've thought about how this thing unfolds in our lives, we, listen, 
There's some areas in our life that need rescuing. We all come in with these little smiles on our faces like things are right, but we all have issues. We all have areas in our life where death is reigning and, and, and we need life to be reinstalled, resurrected. And so this morning the question would be, where does that all begin? And I would say it begins at a moment of humility right where we started. So this morning I'm going to invite you to bow your head for just a moment, okay? Now, if you would just put your stuff over to the side because step one, okay, the beginning of a rescue starts with humility. So the question beckons this morning, will you and I humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? If we will, there's great potential that we walked in on the sidewalk with certain issues and we can walk out without those issues. There's great potential that we walked in with issues and the Lord's timing is not for them to go away now, but we walk out of here with a greater confidence with the same issues. Not in ourselves, but in our Savior. So this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, my question to you would simply be this. Will you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? Will you call out for help? Will you just ask him to help you? You've been trying so hard to do better. You've turned to some things that you thought were going to help and they only made matters worse. Would you be willing to repent? Meaning, Lord, I acknowledge I've made some wrong decisions. I've sinned against you. Now, by a show of hands, with heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anybody in the house that would say this morning, there's some areas of my life that need a rescue? Maybe my parent, maybe my family, maybe my best friend. Raise your hand if that's you. Just slip it up towards heaven. And some areas of my life that I need rescue. There's some need, areas in life that have some issues that I need God to settle. So my question is, are you willing to humble yourself today and say, God, here I am. I need your help. And I want to say to you that the altar is open. And you may never have ever gone to an altar before in your whole entire life. But I'm challenging you today to do something different. If the Spirit of God is nudging your heart, and I know you say, I've never gone to an altar before. What's the magic about the altar? There's no magic up here. But there's something very powerful about symbolically getting out of your chair and saying, I'm willing to humble myself and go down front and spend some time on my knees before the Lord. So is there anybody in the house today that will be willing, based on your struggle, based on somebody else's struggle, to humble yourself, come down this altar maybe for the first time in your whole life? I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you. Matter of fact, can we, I know it's a little easier if we can stand up. Will you stand up with me? There are people who are trying to get down, down out of the row and come down. There's some, listen, there's some husbands and wives. Yeah, listen, you got some issues. I'm, I'm, I'm praying you come on down the altar and just spend some time there humbly before the Lord. There's some single folk in the room and you're struggling with some stuff. Come on, this altar ought to be so full. We ought to fill the aisles up. And it, listen, I'm telling you, if you'll humble ourselves, we can leave out of here with a touch from heaven. Would you bow before him just now? Maybe there's somebody you need to go and get. Go and get them. Go find them. If you know what neighborhood they sit in, go over there and just, just touch, them, touch them on the shoulder and come on. Maybe you see somebody down here on the front that needs you just to come alongside them and pray for them. Please do that. Let's not get so scheduled and, 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 and rigid that we miss out on opportunities like that. Would you come place your hand on somebody's shoulder? This morning, Lord Jesus, we're humble ourselves before you. And we declare we need you. Come on, somebody ought to say it to him. I need you, God. I need you. Somebody needs to verbalize, God, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry for trying to do it myself. I didn't even realize it until this morning. I'm just trying to work it out on my own. Would you humble yourself and say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Would you help me with my issue? It's been 12 long years. It's been 12 long days. It's been six long. I don't know how long it's been for you. Just come out with the whole truth. Come out with the whole truth. Talk to him today about the whole truth. This you and him. The whole truth. As these are praying and petitioning the Lord and asking God to move and, and to settle and heal and restore, I want to ask of the congregation, I want to ask of the group this morning, is there somebody here today who needs to invite Jesus Christ to be Lord? Now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and I'm not going to call you down to the front. You'll have an opportunity if you'd like to. I'm not going to come find you. But if you're here today and God's dealing with you about salvation, you're not certain there's ever been a time you've truly turned your life over to Jesus and made him Lord, then nobody's looking around. I just want you to slip your hand up really quickly so that I can pray for you. I see you there. Any others? Just slip your hand up right there. I see you there. And God bless you right there. Any others? And right there. And God bless you. Any others, just slip your hand up and right back down. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, the many hands around this room that went up, Lord, would you settle the issue for them? 
Help them to know today that there's an authentic relationship to be found. And his name is Jesus. I pray right now you'd silence the voice of the enemy. And if there's a decision that needs to be made, that God, I pray for the human hearts that raise their hands, they would say yes to Jesus. They turn it all over to him today. They trust in his death being enough on the cross and the power of his resurrection. And today they would invite him into their lives to be Lord. I just want to ask you today with heads bowed and eyes closed, again, you're not going to come down front unless you just feel led to. If you're here and you invited Jesus to be Lord, I just want to celebrate my own self if I can with heads bowed, nobody looking around. If you've invited Jesus, just to make certain you've invited Jesus to be Lord today, would you slip your hand up and right back down? I see you right there. Any others? Just slip your hand. I see you right there and right there and right back there and over there. I see you there. God bless you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. And know that there's other, listen, there's more steps to this discipleship, growing in the Lord, learning more, surrendering more to the Holy Spirit of God. So, Father, I pray your kingdom would come. And I pray, God, whatever you want to do with the rest of our time of response, that, God, we would leave here changed. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you for the great power of the name of Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit whose presence changes everything. Move now, I pray, God. I pray you'd move now. I pray you solve issues, God. I pray you resurrect things, God. And I pray it in Jesus' name.